Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's timeline-crashing, partisan-bashing, wailing and tooth-gnashing weird little world. As always, we try to present our information with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. And oh my God, is that getting more and more difficult day by day, people? We are not always successful, I admit to that. But we are on a bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. In fact, I'm going to have one right now. Excuse me. Oh, that is just lovely, that is. <clears throat> All right. Our rally cry is, Awaken, oh my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple. And do not give our God cause to weep all. If you are joining us for the first time, hello, I extend a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, however, we do not do politically correct because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We martini heads, we are straight talking, straightforward folks. We may be direct and by golly we are, but we come from a core of respect. There's no fakery here to our numbers. We don't want to be something just to have thousands of hits, although we'd love to have thousands of hits. But what you see is what you get with us. We value common decency, common courtesy, common sense, soul sovereignty, our national sovereignty, global sovereignty. We no longer wish to be a franchise of the reptilian empire. When we use labels, we do so for identification purposes. We are strictly non-partisan because all parties are in the can. This world of ours, it's lost its moral compass. And without a moral compass, the political arena is nothing more than a never-ending power play benefiting a small group of sociopaths gorging themselves on the fat of the land while the rest of humanity begs for scraps under tables groaning with the fruits of its own labor. Honestly, peopleoids, by now, how many times do we have to go through this for humanity to learn and to know better and to do better? How did we become such soft-centered, flavorless peons? We're like the coffee cream in the Russell Stouffer. Nobody wants the coffee cream. Well, my darlings, that is what this show is all about. Looking at the bigger picture, stepping outside the carefully crafted establishment narrative. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not for the faint of heart. If you're one of the hundreds of millions who would rather sleep comfortably in the manufactured illusion, if you are content to do as you are told, eat what you are given, behave as ordered and believe everything the daily spin churns out, this show is not for you. So go away. Move along. There's nothing for you to see here. If, on the other hand, you have capacity for objective thought and wish to better understand the marvels of co-creation, to actually enjoy your incarnation, you might hear something of value in the next hour. Who knows? Life, it's an adventure. Adventure means excitement, journey, new frontiers, laughs and tears, a bit of this, a bit of that. Occasionally, if you're lucky, a bit of the other. 
you know, it's all this and that, but it'll all get sorted out in the end. And after a good rest on the other side, we're off on another adventure because we are cosmic co-created. We are created to create. That's our entire purpose. We are space adventurers and adventures. They are jolly escapades into the world of the unknown, like Star Trek, but with better uniforms. Today is Thursday, February the 18th. We were going to bring you this on Wednesday, February the 17th, but I live in Oregon and we had the mother of all ice storms. Everything was down. It was an absolute surreal experience. So apologies to anybody who showed up to listen to it live because we weren't there. So here we are, February the 18th, 2021, a very important year. We are on the brink of a great awakening. But brinks, they are dangerous places because one door leads to an awakening. The other door leads to perpetual enslavement under Luciferian law. And by golly, people, we are not going to open that door, are we? Not on my watch. You know, walking around town, it's an exercise in surrealism. All I see are zombies taking part in a PSYOPs illusion. Attention. You are prisoners of a PSYOPs illusion. Our country now resembles zombie land. You're asleep if you don't think this hoax was planned. They swamped our brains with information pollution. Try to teach the kids to hate the Constitution. Crossing the Delaware. Yes, folks, if you have a message to share, don't let age stand in your way. 
I'm 61 years old, and that was my first and possibly my last rap song. Many thanks to my pal Rick Hill for setting my lyrics to music and for doing all the hard work on actually playing the instruments. And a big thank you to my partner for producing the video. I love you, Cream Path. So this is on BitChute and it's on Bright Dion, and I think we'll put it on Rumble. And we're going to try and put it on YouTube and hopefully it'll be okay. But we're going to definitely put it on all censor free platforms. And if this message resonates with you, my darling, please share. I would dearly love to see this become an anthem for the intellectual revolution. I call to arms the intellectual revolution, where we reclaim our minds from the engineers of our perception before taking them for a short walk to an exceptionally long drop. Oops, did I say that out loud? How very uncharacteristic of me. Teehee. Folks, if you can look the Luciferians in the eye, and somehow manage to maintain grace and humor, then we've already won this war because they have neither. All right. Well, I'm sure there'll be a few more versions of that because my mate Rick Hill is actually a professional accomplished musician and nothing those people ever record is good enough. So watch out for a revision coming to a town near you. Let's move on to quack questions, answers and comments. That's why we started the show. If you would like to share the contents of your fabuloso minds on my fabuloso show, drop me a line at Arnie at ArnieAvedician.com or send me a postcard to Cosmic Arnie P.O. Box 714 Wilsonville, Oregon 97070 USA. And let me know, please, if and how you would like to be identified or I will call you, omit personal details. All right, moving on, the first question to fall out of the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And this is from Ronnie in Elko, Nevada, who asks, Dear Annie, is, oh, if America is supposed to be a melting pot, doesn't that contradict the unity through diversity, diversity theory? What are your thoughts? Well, Ronnie from Elko, Nevada, America was never supposed to be a melting pot. It's a mosaic. Lots of different textures, materials, colors, all coming together to make a bigger picture. So when you look at a mosaic, you stand back from it, right? And you can't see the different materials. All you see is the bigger picture. When you get really close up, that's when you see how diverse the materials are. And yet they all work together to create a very pleasing image. That's the plan for America. That is unity through diversity. It's not a homogenous glop of goo, which is what the establishment want for us and what they're pushing right now. So thanks for that question. So everybody go out and Put yourself in the mosaic and let's build the original picture for America. Unity through diversity. All right. What else is in the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity? This one is from uh, Omit Personal Details, who says, Dear Suburban Shaman, I just don't see how we are in danger of this Marxist revolution everyone is talking about. Where's the proof? Well, Omit, I would say if you can't see the obvious, then the Marxists are doing a very good job at sugarcoating the poison they have fed you for decades. Now, I could go on for hours about this, but I will keep my response brief as we have a great deal of material to cover on this week's show. First off, my love, they are teaching you to hate your freedom and to berate those who stand up for it. Look around. Just tell me that you're not seeing this. How can you not see it? For a start, here's a hint. Masks, social distancing, the glorification of big business and the demonization of small family business. Also, there is no pandemic. Clearly, since there is no spike in mortality, you can't have a pandemic without a spike in mortality. Why do we have to have a conversation beyond that one sentence? 
And if there's no pandemic, why the masks? Don't bother answering that one. Anyone out there who's wearing a mask, because I won't be able to hear you, which is the point of the masks. Moving on, lockdowns. Small business destroyed, big business thrives. You don't have to be a genius to figure that one out. Moving on, censorship of dictatorial proportions. Now, don't get me wrong, I have my opinions, but I don't care if you identify as left, right, center, libertarian, or as a transgender, vegan, gluten-free, polymorph rhinoceros. This is America, land of the free, and we are currently subject to a level of censorship that would give Stalin a very stiff willy. You've been lulled into a false sense of security with all this talk of the joys of democratic socialism, socialism, communism, and I know the difference between all of them, by the way. You know, you've been lulled into this everything for everyone and no one has to work and everything will be provided for you and you will owe nothing and you will be happy. Darling, in my tribe, we call that a zoo. They capture you, they cage you, they feed you what they feel you should be fed, when they feel you need it, and they very kindly clean up your poop. And after a quick stir fry, they serve your poop back to you as food. It's called the you fell for it, so now you eat it ideology. It's a major philosophical branch of cabal ideology. Now, who do we blame for this? Well, many people, but let's pick on Bernie Sanders who actually is a decent enough guy, all told, for a career politician. I see auras. I do know that on some level, on some deep level, he does believe we are all equal. He does. But you see, he dipped socialism in chocolate, and then he covered it in sprinkles, and then he sold it to a significant portion of the American people, and he made it all sound so lovely. And I guess if you compare him to people like Hillary, yes, I killed them. He is lovely, which is why she cut his balls off when he tried to run as an independent. What else? Oh, yes, then we have um, V-O-T-E-R-F-R-A-U-D. <laughs> if it were any more obvious, it would turn into a large truck and splatter your remains all over the road. Yet here we are with a significant portion of the population unable or unwilling to look at and accept the obvious. These globalists, they would have you hero worship career criminals and demonize law-abiding citizens. George Floyd is just one name that comes to mind. I have a long list. They would have you believe that BLM and Antifa, 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 are homegrown grassroots organizations. And I can assure you they are far from homegrown. They are establishment seeded and funded. They are cash collection agencies for the democratic franchise of deep state. And if by now you haven't figured out that this whole establishment agenda is CCP funded, I'm going to have to question your commitment to research. Oh, darlings, all the signs are there. If you would just step away from the evil mainstream media mind control machine. Open a few books instead. Prayerfully contemplate their contents. Meditate before you re-engage with the world. The media, which is the one platform that has to come down first, in my opinion, has us all demonizing the people DJT came forward to expose. And they have us glorifying those who swore an oath of allegiance to Lucifer. It pains me that so many who voted for Biden who is not the president and who did not win the election, had no idea what they voted for. Naivety is one thing. Willful ignorance is something else. Reclaim your minds, people. I've checked in with my off-world and my other-world peeps recently. Honestly, there's so much static in Earth's atmosphere, the Earth monitors barely make anything out. But the potential for some sort of civil war is now quite high. The potential for two Americas is back on the books. Now, I hope that doesn't happen because it would mean that we are stupider than originally anticipated. And as far as I'm concerned, the stupidity meter is already bouncing in the red zone. All I will say is this. 
when we get to the other side of this, and we will, and when the media is exposed as the mouth of Sauron, people's heads will explode. So, buy a hat and a mop and get on with it. Thank you for that question. It couldn't be any more obvious. It really couldn't. Let's take another question, comment something, rant, rave, bar of chocolate from this bowl. What's going on? Let's pick one. Okay, here it is. This is from a chap named Bill who asks, Dear Arnie, does voting with your dollars, choosing where we spend our cash, make a real difference? It seems to me that we, the little people, have very little influence in today's big world. It is difficult to maintain interest when you feel useless. <sighs> of course it makes a difference, Bill. If enough people do it, how can it not make a difference? After all, as the song goes, money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. That clinking, clanking sound, it makes the world go around. Money, 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 money. Starve the beast. That's how you do it. You starve the beast. The illusion of money is how we are currently controlled. If we starve the beast, it will die. All those big lot stores, they've made us far too reliant on the system. Centralized things, you know, Amazon, all of that. If we have far too little influence on how the world works, it is because we have chosen to disengage from how the world works. We went in a relatively short space of time from a nation of farmers and private growers to a nation of fast food consumers and freeloaders. Convenience became king and quality was relegated to the second and third divisions. If we want to make a difference, we have to make an effort. We have to get up off our asses and follow the money. And if we don't like what we see, we stop contributing. I made a list, I'm good at lists, I'm a Virgo. I made a list of all the companies and organizations that outright support the companies and organizations that promote new world order policies. Now, I was going to list them, but I'm not going to list them on this show because I have not sought legal counsel um, and it's not my company that produces this show, but it's a very long list. And one thing this shandemic, this shamdemic has given me is through all my boycotting, it's a savings account. I've never really had one before. Thank you, COVID. Bill, this is an excellent time to cut away dead wood. This world, it's full of stuff. We don't need most of the stuff. As an exercise, try this for six months. Take a good look at your monthly expenditure. Identify that which you genuinely need for health, safety, and basic quality of life. Eliminate the rest. Next, take a look at the organizations that supply those needs. And if you disagree with their ethics, investigate your options. If millions of peeps walk away from a large provider, the large provider will feel it. And by the way, don't go down the rabbit hole of, but if I do this and that company fails, all those workers will lose their jobs. I hear that a lot. If that organization supports the enslavement of mankind and you don't call it out, how exactly have you contributed to the betterment of mankind? So the slaves keep their jobs, but they are still slaves, bowing to the corporate overlords. And by showing up for work each day, they show their corporate overlords they have no idea how to live except as slaves. Oh, whoopee, whoopee, what a wonderful world to bring children into. Let's all go out right now and get pregnant and bring more slaves into this world. As for maintaining interest and feeling useless, listen up, Billy boy. You are source energy having a cosmic space adventure. So stop talking like that. You know what you sound like when you talk like that? You sound like a jaded parrot in a small town whorehouse. It's your world. Get up off your ass, mate. Do something with it. Right. Pep talk over. Hopefully Billy knows better now. One more question. Let's take another question because time has a habit of 
slipping into the future. And this show will be over before I know it. This one is from Ma Mahina. Mahina sounds Hawaiian. Who says, Dear Ani, what happens when we experience everything there is to experience on physical worlds? What happens next when there's nothing else to experience? Hmm, I think we've come across this question a few times in our career. Uh, if we decide we have experienced enough and have evolved satisfactorily, there are options. A soul with that level of experience would be a valuable asset to any realm. And there is a great deal of activity in non-physical worlds. I remember quite a while ago asking Matthew Ward what he was up to now that he's done with physical life. And at that time, he was reorganizing Earth's heaven, which is, by the way, called Nirvana by the residents. And once he was done with updating Nirvana, he went on to organize other heavens in other realms. I honestly don't know what he's up to now, but I do know he's evolved to the point where he no longer even needs a light body to travel across the universe. He is quite literally a point of light and can manifest a body should he need one. So once a soul of that level is done, and even that level of experience, um, I think it just returns to the heart of source. Once you're done running around being a point of light, you can go back into what some people call the uncreated mass. What happens there, I cannot say with any certainty, but it does require yet another purification process. And just think about it, the return and the merging of a completed soul, well, it will certainly enhance the energy of source in ways I'm not sure I can describe. Our life is an eternal cycle. And once we've done all that we think there is to do, we return to source and probably hang out a bit until it's time for us to part ways and start the process of evolution all over again. It's all about adventure, co-creation. Source is never stagnant. It keeps moving. So we were created to create realms and have experiences on them. And unless I'm advised to the contrary, that's what we will do forever and ever and ever. Amen. And you think, my God, I've completed all this. I've become an evolved soul. I go back into source and what I start again as a flower or a, you see, you don't understand. You are excited to start the process of creation from scratch. We may not realize that when we're in the middle of a difficult incarnation, but we are created to create. And that's very exciting. Ooh, I'll be an earthworm and start from the beginning. Sounds like rubbish now. Wait till you're completed and fully evolved. It might sound better to you. Thank you, Mahina. Okay, I think we should leave it there for questions, answers, and comments for today. I want to thank our contributors. Keep them coming. In a world where, in a world <laughs> where the establishment wants to muzzle and silence we the people, it's good to have a venue in which we can openly share ideas and comments. And now, it is time for a new segment. <laughs> and that new segment is called The Strange and the Deranged. Tasty tidbits from the archives of history. And I present this to you, the people, for your amusement and for your edification. Tasty tidbit number one. Now, this one comes from Scottish history. I am a bit of a football fan, actually. And for my American friends, by football, I mean soccer. Footy, as we call it, was different in my day. I supported Manchester United back when, when football teams had local players. Now it's all an international corporate affair with no local colours. It's all about money and it's all homogenised, pasteurised, sanitised, colourless apology of football. Ugh. Back in the day, we would drive up from London to see United play. We would bundle up nice and warm with thermos flasks of tea and a box of Eccles cakes. Oh, I'm, oh God, I've just slipped into nostalgia. All right, back to tasty tidbit number one. The world's oldest football. Yes, there is such a thing. It was found in Stirling Castle, which is in Scotland, and it dates back to the 1540s, which is interesting because football had been banned in Scotland since 1424. So somebody kicked it up high and it was lodged in the rafters 
of the Queen's Chamber, the Queen's Chamber. And they found it, um, oh, found it a bit later. I think they didn't find it till 1981. But so someone in the Queen's Chamber in the 1540s was playing football, which was banned. And it lodged in the rafters. We were they playing football, though? That's the other thing, because apparently children's toys were used as charms against witchcraft in those days. So a child's toy, which they assumed the football could be a child's toy, was some sort of, uh, you know, protection against witchcraft. Um, anybody who came up with that has never been a babysitter, have they? The purity of children. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, so if you want to see it, go to Stirling Castle, to the Stirling Smith Art Gallery and Museum. I've been there, but I, I never saw this football. It survived because it was made of pig's bladder. And apparently pigs have amazing bladders. So there we are. Um, why was football banned? I wanted to find out about that. And apparently the way it was played in the 16th century and 15th and 16th century, um, it was a very, very rough sport. So much so that people were so heavily injured. There was a law against it because you got injured in football. You couldn't go to military service. And apparently, not apparently, actually, I know this. This is factual. Um, one of the penalties for being caught playing football could be as severe as flogging. My God, just for a bit of footy. I think that's a bit harsh. But apparently, apparently it was played in a no holes barred fashion and serious injuries were common. So the world's oldest football from the 1540s is in the museum at Stirling Castle in Scotland. My God, go check it out. Tasty tidbit number two requires me to change my glasses because I found this and I photocopied it and um, the, the writing is tiny, but this is kind of groovy. Tasty tidbit number two was about the inventor of the top hat. And this is from 1797. When John Hetherington, inventor of the top hat, wore a hat in public for the first time, People were so scared that women fainted, children started screaming. Hetherington was accused of disturbing the king's peace, and he had to pay a fine of 500 pounds. 500 pounds was a fortune in 1796. According to the Crown, dogs yelped, children screamed, women fainted, and because the crowd just went mad over this top hat, some little chap from a candle store was run over by the crowd and had his arm broken. So the guards took Mr. Hetherington, a haberdasher, away. And it says here, in extenuation of his crime, the defendant claimed that he had not violated any law of the kingdom, but was merely exercising a right to appear in a headdress of his own design a right not denied to any Englishman. Quite right too. How dare they fine him just for inventing a hat? People are mad. Okay, tasty tidbit number three. And these are actually tasty morsels. This is about ancient food. And I quote, in 2012, marine archeologists working in the Mediterranean discovered the remains of an ancient shipwreck near the town of Varazze, on the Italian coast. Believed to have been traveling from Italy to Spain around 2000 years ago, this incredibly well-preserved wreck included a cache of sealed jars containing grain, oil, wine, and pickled fish. Now, we all know pickling is and was, um, well, always will be, I hope, a common way to preserve food, pickling and fermentation. But I don't think that the Romans who actually pickled this fish thought that it was going to last quite so long. The tightly sealed jars protected the fish, of course, from, you know, decay and from being eaten by other sea creatures. What we don't know is if these marine archaeologists opened up the sealed jars and tasted the ancient Roman pickled fish. You know, I would do it just for the heck of it. I'd give it a go. Sticking with really ancient and weird food, um, there's a place known as China's Pompeii, which I believe is Lagia. Forgive me if I pronounced it wrong. So that's an ancient Chinese settlement on the Yellow River. 
And during the Bronze Age, it suffered a lot of natural disasters. And this area is very fertile and it's very rich in sediment, which archaeologists love because it preserves organic matter. And in 2002, they found a bowl of noodles at the site. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, this bowl of noodles dated over 4,000 years old and it was made of millet. So it confirmed that the Chinese have been eating noodles for a very long time and that it did form a very crucial part of their diet. And staying with ancient complex carbohydrates, popcorn. Now, when you think of popcorn, you think of that absolutely toxic, poisonous rubbish that you put in your microwave that you should avoid at all costs. Or the really expensive, bland, flavorless, cholesterol busting rubbish that you find at the cinema. And you think of it as a relatively modern thing, but it's not, you see. Because on the northern coast of Peru in the fifth millennium BC, people grew and ate corn. And it was a major part of their diet, so they had many different ways of preparing the corn. And one of the ways was wrapping the cobs and placing them over hot coals in order to pop the kernels. So at the sites of Huaca, and I can't remember the other one, oh, uh, Paradonis, something sounds like Paradonis, um, they found all these ancient husks of corn, and they date between three and 3,000 years old and 6,700-year-old corn. So popcorn, it's not new. So that was interesting, wasn't it? I, I'm very into food preservation and I'm very into food anthropology because it's a major part of how civilizations thrived when we went from being hunter-gatherers and nomads. If we were going to build settlements, we had to learn how to grow and preserve food. Anyway, more of that next time. Tasty tidbit number four. And this comes from the great state of Texas. I was, uh, you know, Texas is considering seceding from the Union. And I can't say I blame it. Um, I might have to take a look at uh, real estate in Texas uh, in the not too distant future. But I found this little thing from 1842. Um, it was about Germans, not Nazis. I just want to say that every time I say Germans, people go Nazis. Uh, you know, Germans. In 1842, the Germans wanted to establish a colony a new Germany, if you will, in Texas. And this was called the Edelsveren. So the goal was to organize this mass immigration movement to colonize the Republic of Texas. And that would be a new German state in the heart of America. So 5,000 immigrants were there in 1847. And they established, I think, five settlements. And then another couple of thousand arrived by 1853. But it didn't work, and not for any nefarious reasons. It's just that I guess there was uh, a bit of mistrust amongst the members, which happens everywhere, um, and not a lot of business savvy. So that was interesting. They wanted to do a whole new German thing in Texas, but it didn't work. But that's okay, because we're all Americans now. And my final tasty tidbit for today, Sir Francis Drake. Now, I know you Americans have heard of him. He's very big in England. Um, he was an English sea captain and a, a rakish explorer in the reign of Elizabeth I. He made it to the west coast of North America, 1579. And he claimed that land for the crown. And according to the law in the 16th century, he obtained it legally because they say the local natives consented to give him that land. Not quite sure um, how that happened since he didn't speak the native languages and I'm pretty sure they didn't speak English. Anyway, he was the first European to discover that place. But as it turned out, for whatever reason, the crown wasn't interested on the Pacific side of the new world. They said, no, 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 bring us stuff on the East Coast. It's much easier to get to. We don't want to schlep all the way across America to that nasty little Pacific coast. But, you know, he did have a legitimate claim to it. So England could have had that part of the states. Anyway, uh, somehow or another, all mention of that was lost. 
and it fell into some sort of historical, it's possibly a legend, a myth, not true. But then in 1936, historians in the San Francisco Bay Area found some artifacts and it proved that Drake's visit was real. And it proved that there was a British claim on California, or as they called it, New Albion. So that, that's pretty interesting. Um, and the U.S. government, I believe, did designate a site there on the Point Reyes Peninsula, and it's called Drake's Landing Place, and it's a historic landmark. Fascinating stuff. I'll try to come up with even more fascinating stuff for you all next time. But now it's time for... Where's my kazoo? Tarot a go go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck, and mine is currently the Robin Wood deck. Today's card is oh boy, nobody likes this card. It is the Three of Swords, the Bleeding Heart card. So let's take a look at this baby and let's see what she has to offer. All right, I'm picking it up, and it is a giant red heart. And three swords pierce this giant red heart. It looks painful. Now, anything to do with the heart can be good, can be bad. Let's take a look with the swords. A sword, you can poke someone's heart. You can poke someone in the eye. You can hurt them with it. But you can also heal with a razor blade in surgery. You know, it's not necessarily as bad as it looks. But generally, when we get this card, it is a bit of the stormy weather card for emotions, isn't it? Bleeding hearts, separations, turmoil, quarrels, misunderstandings, upheavals. Um, definitely um, not harmonious. It could also be, depending on the cards around it, a surgical operation. Changes that will upset you. Um, what else am I feeling? Separation, rift, gosh, definitely tears, very possibly heart trouble, definitely high potential for death, painful news. You know, it's, it's just an unpleasant card to look at, but it doesn't have to mean fatality. It just says we're going to have to mourn about something. We're going to have to shed a few tears and grieve about something. It could be something as simple as a separation from a loved one, the end of a relationship. It doesn't have to be medical illness. But if it's, you know, alongside the death card and the tower card and other end of cycle cards, then you need to look after your health or the health of the person that is the closest to you. It is a grief-stricken card. It's, it's not a good card to have, I know. But let's turn it upside down, because usually when we turn stuff upside down, people panic because they say, oh, it's going to be a horrible version of what it is the other way up, and that's not necessarily true. But when we reverse the Three of Swords, it actually gets better, because I can see the swords falling out. So I would say the worst is over. We're going to recover. There's going to be some pain, but it's not going to be as harsh as we thought it would be. And if it is a medical thing and we do have to have surgery, perhaps the surgery is going to be minor or your recovery is going to be very, very quick. So when I turn it upside down, I get the feeling that the worst is over. You know, we have dodged a bullet, so to say. And you can bear whatever suffering is coming your way. And of course, it is a heart, so it could have something to do with literally a broken heart. It could have to do with relationships as well. So do not fear and do not panic when you pick up this card. Remember, everything is temporary, everything is fleeting, and whatever we focus on, that's what grows. So, Three of Swords. Lovely. Let's put that away and let's take a look at what we are going to talk about next. Um, let me just take you through what's coming up with my classes very briefly. You can go to my website. In fact, I wish you would. ArnieAvodician.com. Sign up for my newsletter, Monday Message. Comes out only once a month. 
It is short, it is sweet, and it is full of buttery goodness and all sorts of special offers and tidbits that you may not get on the actual website. February the 27th, 2021, I have a cosmic conversation via Zoom, and we are going to discuss past lives because, you see, life is an eternal cycle, and that's why reincarnation is a real thing. We don't go to heaven and play our harp for eternity, seated comfortably on our fluffy white crowd. No, we don't do that. So sign up. It's going to be a spirited presentation with me, Arnie Avedisian, your favorite diva of deja vu. Sunday, March the 14th, I'm going to be at the Holistic Earth Metaphysical Bookstore in Roseburg, Oregon, presenting one of my favorite subjects, which is from Demons to Deep State. And I will talk all about demons because they are real. And I will talk all about deep state, which is real. In other words, I will be discussing the machinery of evil and how it has been used on our world to turn perfectly decent people into feeble-minded, obedient conformist minions, subservient to the almighty state. Not that I have any strong views on that sort of thing, you understand. Um, and I will also share some of my more colorful paranormal experiences, and there'll be time for questions and all sorts of things. So that is not through my website. Please go to Holistic Earth Roseburg, Oregon, to their website and sign up through that. And the Cosmic Conversation for March 27th, 2021, is explaining out-of-body experiences. You know, people think this is terribly complicated and it's nerve-wracking and they think they're going to leave their body and they're going to get lost and they're never going to come back. And, you know, while that's not impossible, it's so rare as to almost not worth mentioning. So um, just sign up and I'll tell you all about it and we'll have a little out-of-body experience together. And then I promise, I absolutely promise, we will all come back. Very exciting. Look, you do this out-of-body stuff when you're asleep. Don't you remember in your dreams you fly out of your body and you float in the sky and you find yourself somewhere on the other side of the world or you're in the past or you're in the future? That's astral projection. When you're asleep and your body is relaxed and your entirety says, oh, my God, thank God I'm not just Arnie, the personality anymore. I can be my entire cumulative originating experience. You go forth and you do all the things that magnificent manifestations of source energy do. You do it all the time. You don't even know you're doing it. What we're going to talk about is how to do it consciously. It's just something to learn, you know, general metaphysical knowledge. And a quick note, I feel I have to say this, uh, for all my clients of energy work, just for the energy work, whether it's on location or in person, effective immediately, you will be asked to sign a waiver stating whether or not you have taken the inoculation we are not allowed to talk about, which is not an inoculation at all, in my opinion, um, as an experienced intuitive who is well-versed in and specializes in dark agendas, I believe this to be a demonic substance. And the reason I'm going to have you sign this waiver is because the substance may well fight the infusion of light, which is energy work. And since this is a new substance, I have no idea how you will respond to the energy work with the substance in you. Therefore, if you have allowed yourself, your choice, no judgment, to be infected with this substance, and you want energy work, I will ask you to sign and date a waiver absolving me of anything that may happen to you during and after the session up to and including your death. I am not sure if I can make my stance on this particular matter any clearer. All right. I have a feeling we should do something fun now. Yes, I do. There is a poet in England. Well, there are many poets in England. But one of my favorites, as those of you who follow the show, you martini heads, you know my quirky bits, you know. You know how weird I am. And you know the type of poetry that I enjoy. There is a lady in England called Pam Ayres, P-A-M, and it's A-Y-R-E-S. And I believe she's from Dorset. And she used to be a civil servant until she started writing this excellent poetry. And I would love to do it in a Dorset accent, but I suck at accents. 
But needless to say, the Dorset accent is sort of a country accent. And in England, people tend to make fun of it in the same way that they make fun of deep South accents here in America. For whatever reason, if you have one of these accents, people dismiss your intellect, which, of course, is total rubbish. But uh, those of you who know how to do a Dorset accent or some sort of flavor of English country, you can imagine it. This is an excellent poem by Pam Ayres. It's very funny. And it's called They Should Have Asked My Husband. Here we go. You know, this world is complicated and imperfect and oppressed. And it's not hard to feel timid, apprehensive and depressed. It seems that all around us, tides of questions ebb and flow, and people want solutions, but they don't know where to go. Opinions abound, but who is wrong and who is right? People need a prophet, a diffuser of the light, someone they can turn to as the crises rage and swirl, someone with the remedy, the wisdom, the pearl. Well, <laughs> they should have asked my husband. He's a man who likes his say, with his thoughts on immigration, teenage mums, Theresa May, the future of the monarchy, the latest Brexit shocks, the wait for hip replacements, and the rubbish on the box. Yes, they should have asked my husband. He can sort out any mess. He can rejuvenate the railways. He can cure the NHS. So any little niggle, anything you want to know. Just run it past my husband, wind him up and let him go. Congestion on the motorways, free holidays for thugs, the damage to the ozone layer, refugees, drugs. They may defeat the brain of any politician bloke, but present it to my husband, he will solve it at a stroke. He'll clarify the situation, he will make it crystal clear. You will feel the glazing of your eyeballs and the bending of your ear. You may lose the will to live. You may feel your shoulders slump when he talks about the president, Mr. Donald Trump. Upon these areas, he brings his intellect to shine in a great compelling voice that's twice as loud as yours or mine. I often wonder what it must be like to be so strong, infallible articulate, self-confident, and wrong. When it comes to tolerance, he hasn't got a lot. Joyriders should be guillotined and muggers should be shot. The sound of his own voice becomes like music to his ears, and he hasn't got an inkling that he's boring us to tears. My friends don't call so often. They have busy lives, I know. But it's not every day you want to hear a windbag suck and blow. Google, Safari, on them we never call. Why bother with computers when my husband knows it all? I think, quite possibly, that is one of the best poems ever written. It's just hysterical. I love it. Pam Ayres. Go to her website and read her poems. They will make your day. There seems to be a general mood in America right now from what I would call the patriots, because we are down to patriots and globalists at this point. Um, people seem to think, well, I've given up. Let me just change my glasses. Hang on. So I, I made a note of something here I wanted to share with. Oh, no, I'm going to change them right back. That didn't work. All this getting old stuff sucks. So this general air of, oh, nothing's happening. We're in suspension. You know, uh, do we give up? What do we do? Is Trump coming back? Is the military going to come in? What is going to happen to our country? Are we all going to be um, communists? No, we're not. Look, people, let's just take a deep breath. We are living in a very strange time indeed. But a great awakening is one thing. I mean, it's never clean. It's very, very messy. And if you're going to drain the swamp, and most people didn't even know there was a swamp, they're being shown the swamp for the first time. I think perhaps it was naive for a great many of us to think that the military were going to come in in 30 days, everything was going to be fine. You just can't do that. 
I just want to read something about um, another hero of mine, which was uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know, he was the man who never gave up. He really didn't. Um, 1832, he ran for a seat in the Illinois state legislature and he lost. Two years later, he won that seat and was reelected three times. 1838, he aspired to become speaker of the state legislature and he lost. 1840, he sought to become an elector in the electoral college and lost. 1843, he ran for the House of Representatives and lost, but he ran again in 46 and he won. 1854, he ran for the U.S. Senate and lost. 1856, he sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention and he got fewer than 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate again and he lost again. When he ran for president in 1860, things turned out differently for him and they turned out differently for the nation. And as they say, the rest is history. The thing about Lincoln is this. He knew he, who he was. He was loyal to his ideals. He checked his beliefs on a regular basis and he realigned them. But he always stayed true to his vision for America. If he had given up in 1932 or 1832, because he'd be dead in 1932, if he had given up in 1832, how different would this country have been, I wonder? The point being, if you know that you are in your truth and you know that what you stand for is honorable, and you are an integrity. Never give up, never surrender. So before I sign off for the day, please allow me to remind you that mainstream news is censored, manipulated, and controlled by unbelievably naughty people. So do what my wicker friends do and take it all with a pinch of salt. And may I remind you also that this does not mean that all alternative news is agenda free. There's a fair amount of BS on those channels too. follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. Money is not a bad thing. I have quite a soft spot for it myself, but it can't be the only reason why we do things. So develop your capacity for objectivity, open your hearts and your minds to supreme cosmic intelligence and take the time because it does take time to research the source of your information. Be willing to accept that you have been conned. Grieve it. Forgive yourself. Regroup. Move on. People all over the world are fighting New World Order agenda. My friends back in the UK are fighting the same war. They, too, are in danger of losing their country to, 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 hello, to totalitarianism. Say that ten times really fast. To totalitarianism. And their heritage and now their future is at stake to the Luciferian agenda. So, my darlings, this was fun. I really enjoyed this. I always do. It's just my pleasure to join with you every other week and just be open with you. Now, today's real life cocktail is called a Yale cocktail. And why did I choose the Yale cocktail? I chose it because Yale is responsible for so many members of the Illuminati. Oh, those secret societies. Here's how you make it. You take two ounces of dry gin. I use good old fashioned beef eater dry. Half an ounce of dry vermouth. I use Dolan dry. One dash of Angostura bitters and a teaspoon of cream Yvette, which is a delightful natural blend of berry fruits and rose petals. You fill your shaker with cracked ice, pour everything into it, stir it, do not shake, stir it, strain and pour the drink and Drink it to the downfall of the Dark Lord. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I drink this to you. I'm Arnie Abadissian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit. Inhabit the human.
You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.